well. Uh, I was watching that video during this week, and it just reminded me how appreciative I am of all of you. Because not only is this church a, a church that is generous, specifically you guys are gener uh, generous in the way of giving to missions. Uh, if this is your first time here or the first time in a while, you might notice the flags that are all around the sanctuary. And in most churches, those flags represent the different nations that are represented here in the church. But here at Bethel, we do something a little bit different. Each of these flags, both nationally and internationally, are places where missionaries are at where we support. So I thank you so much for your generosity, because without that, we would not be able to show the light of God to everyone that is around the world. You are so appreciated. Well, before we get started in our message, I want to give you guys an update. There has been a lot of things that are happening. Uh, this past Wednesday, we had, instead of our Wednesday night Bible study, we had our corporate prayer service where we had different, I, I believe it was five different churches from the northeast section of New Jersey and their pastors and their prayer teams. This building was filled with about 50, 55 people all raising their hands and doing one thing, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and the needs of the local church. And by the grace of God, Pastor Mario, our presbyter, was here with us, not just to be able to help give oversight to the prayer meeting, but his specific thing that he wanted to do was pray over the pastors of Newark. So myself, Pastor Pablo of Temple Rock, Pastor Earl of Central Assembly, were here together, and we were able to uh, lift up each other and lift up the needs that the local church has. We are one body and we are one mind. God didn't call the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Pentecostals. God called people to follow Jesus. So with that, I invite you the next time that we have our corporate prayer round, please come and expect for something to change within you and within the atmosphere. Another thing that we did this week, speaking of different uh, ways to be able to connect to God, our youth group actually took a trip over to Abundant Life Academy, and we participated in their night of worship. And uh, Aliana and some kids from our youth group participated on the worship team, and it was an amazing atmosphere where you know the Spirit of God showed up. And we need the Spirit of God with our young people as they're facing challenges throughout this entire world. Struggles that we can be able to read about, but struggles that we are not in. Let's keep them in prayer and have them have an encounter with Jesus. Amen? I know that Maya uh, talked about it briefly, but for our special business meeting that's going to be held next week, Sunday, I want to give you guys some instructions. So... Our typical special business meeting or holding elections uh, is going to be a little bit different because we're actually going to have an election this time around. So the way that we work in our process is that we bring people forward for our board of deacons and uh, we bring people forward for uh, the position of treasurer as well. And to be eligible as a deacon, you have to be a member for a minimum of one year. And you have to be faithful and consistent in your attendance and your giving. And by the grace of God, the nomination committee that was selected and prayed and fasted have had seven nominees that have allowed their names to stand for this election. 
Three of them are existing board, mem- uh, board members who have been renominated. And then three, all three of our deacon shadowees, if you guys remember during our annual business meeting, we prayed and fasted for worthy men and women to shadow deacons uh, and, and board meetings so that when people said we don't allow our name to stand or we feel like God is doing something different and transitioning, that those people can be trained and discipled to possibly take that place. And there is one additional nominee who qualifies as a member. And praise God, it's not just people that we prayed and fasted for, but other wisdom that our nomination committee has had. So with that being said, I want to name those to you. Because I know that you guys didn't do that before. But in the same way that a few weeks before I showed up, you guys prayed and you guys fasted and you knew who needed to be prayed and fasted for, even though you guys might have not known me. So, with that being said, the names of the nominees are David Chincata, Cindy Clattenburg, uh, Tilsa Marchena, Femi Soetan. I said that right. I pronounced it. I'm not going to pronounce Thaddeus' name right. Thaddeus Okechuku. Hey, I got it right. <laughs> Eric Ballister and Joseph Tahada. I want you guys to pray and fast with me this week. This is not a popularity contest. We don't believe in popularity contests in the kingdom of God. What we believe is that God calls and equips worthy men and women to give oversight to his church. And in the exact same way, back in uh, October and November, when you guys were praying and fasting, and I I think our relationship has gone pretty well over the last couple months, it's because God was the one that was in it. So let's not pray for our choices. Let's pray for God's choices. Okay? All right. With our summer break that we are having, this is going to be the last thing before we get into our message, uh, we are pausing Wednesday nights and Friday nights, especially because we're also doing a lot of construction in our basement again through the month of August. So we want to be able to have as much time during the week that contractors can be able to come in, get busy, and we can be able to make a big imprint on that. But we are still having our Sunday evening times of prayer. I never want to get rid of prayer for any extended period in church. And the good thing about our Zoom meetings is that you don't have to be here. You don't have to come back to the building. You can just plug in and intercede, and we can still be of one mind, though we are all taking a break. Amen? If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. If you haven't received an outline and would like one, please raise your hand. There's no more out. Praise God. There's no more outlines. <laughs> All right. If you need a digital outline, you can be able to go on your phone and look up Bethel Newark on the Version Bible app, and you can be able to take notes from there. And if you don't know how to do that, find a millennial or a youth. They can do it in an instant. Okay. We're going to be continuing in our series on the book of Mark that has been titled, Step Out. 
And it's all about getting down to the key points of Mark's message and us being, to, uh, being able to step out in boldness when giving the gospel to other people or understanding the key messages that Mark was trying to bring to the people at the time. And the emphasis that we are going to be talking about in our Step Out series this week is authority. When I think of the word authority, two things come to mind. It reminds me of a police officer or somebody in government. Whenever I look and I see um, like the mayor of Newark and every single week I actually get one of his updates. He goes live on Facebook and I get to see all the updates that are happening in our town. I see and I recognize his authority in everything that he does. But the second thing that I am reminded of is my mama. Let me tell you something. There is nothing that I fear more in this world is God and my mother with an open hand. (laughs) When we have you guys over and stuff, just ask me a couple stories. They're probably going to be the funniest stories that you've ever heard. Uh, But I never understood the fear of the Lord more than when I was uh, walking with my mother. And she said, Thomas Anthony, come here. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) But we recognize that authority. But when we get older, sometimes we don't understand the authority that we have, especially with walking with Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus had authority, and we hear the stories of the apostles, but sometimes we think that that has happened 2,000 years ago, and we have a fear of implementing it ourselves. Or a fear that we are going to overexert and abuse it so we refrain from it whatsoever. But we're going to use Jesus' example here in the book of Mark to give us some instruction of the authority that you and I have. So let's read Mark 1 starting in verse 21. The Bible says this. They went to Capernaum when the Sabbath came. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. All the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Church. Our actions should produce results with authority. Our actions should produce results with authority. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing in this place. I thank you for the blessing that is Bethel Assembly of God. God, I pray that you touch us. From your word. I pray that you touch your servant, that it might not be my words, but it be the words of the Holy Spirit, the words that the people need to hear today. 
give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and more importantly, hands and feet to respond to your message. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We've been going through Mark for the last couple weeks, and we are going to not be going in order verse by verse as we would normally go, but as the Spirit has kind of been moving us, we've been taking section by section, and we'll be in chapter 2 next week. We're actually going to be moving out of chapter 1 before a month. I know that that hasn't happened lately, but we're going to go and we're going to move forward. And the thing that we're skipping out Uh, This week is actually the calling of the disciples. The Lord put it on my heart to put that in another message and in another section. So we will get to that. But what we're entering to is not just Jesus making the statement that the kingdom of heaven is near, but actually the practice of the teaching. And how from the beginning, Jesus had an authority that was behind him that was unlike any other. And it's the authority that later on he gives to the disciples, he gives to the 120, and he gives to you and me. Nothing pauses. I know know that that's what we think, 2,000 years, but nothing pauses when it comes to God's edict and his answers. His spirit is active. And the same spirit that the disciples walked with is the same spirit you and I are called to have. So... With that being said, there should be results with our actions. They should produce results with authority. And the first thing that I see Jesus do is the results of his teaching. The results of his teaching were already different from the scribes of the day. Mark 1.21 says this, They went to Capernaum. When the Sabbath came and Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach and the people were all amazed because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So let's set the scene. We're in Capernaum. It's possibly home to about 1,000 to 2,000 people and it's on the northwestern tip of Galilee. I think we have a map. Did I put the map in there? There we go. So there is Capernaum and Jesus is in the middle of two places where he does a lot of his ministry before he goes to Jerusalem. In Capernaum, he can be able to go right, and he can go more to Nazareth and the rest of the region of Galilee that's primarily Jewish. But then if he goes to the left or goes across the river, he is in what's called the Ten Cities region, or what we would know as the Decapolis, which is primarily non-Jewish. So when Jesus says, let's get into the boat and go to the other side, this is where he's going. So we kind of get a picture of where he was at, a middle place where he can be able to minister to both sides of people, Jewish and non-Jewish. And he's in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus was starting his ministry not in some secret place or continuing where John went or... uh, a place where the crowd had to come to him. No, he established himself from the beginning in the center where people would have their most influence. And we say, see later on in the book of Acts that the apostle Paul does this too. He always goes into the local synagogue and preaches Jesus to the people and then goes out into the marketplace among the non-Jewish people. So Jesus is already being the example. And remember, When God wants to start something new, he does so 
publicly. Man, that didn't get a big enough anyway. When God starts something new, he does so publicly. When the people of Israel left Egypt, it was done publicly. It wasn't done in the middle of the night. When he established his covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, he spoke not just to Moses, but to everyone, and he did so publicly. So Jesus, with this authority and this teaching, he's going to do it publicly so that people can see what God is doing through him. The way that the local synagogue would work, as well as that local leaders or lawyers or scribes, they would come and give commentary and analysis on what they saw and what they felt had belonged into the scripture. But they themselves felt that they had no authority whatsoever. In fact, the only authority that they had was either through the scriptures the traditions that the elders had uh, given to them, or maybe a great leader, thinker, or philosopher from times past that have been left in that specific synagogue. But Jesus' authority is different. Jesus uses his authority solely from himself and the scriptures alone. And that word authority means heaviness. Or to have weight against something. So when Jesus is teaching and when he is preaching, the people feel a heaviness or a difference of a presence. What he is saying is not just in one ear and out the other. There has to be something to, to chew on with Jesus' words. And that makes sense because Jesus is one who is sent from God and by God. And later on in the Gospels, people compared Jesus to the prophets of the Old Testament. These were men who had the authority of God, who came to perform God's miracles and call the people to repentance and obedience to God once again. But the difference between the prophets and with Jesus is that they had an inspiration of the Holy Spirit that lasted temporarily. They received the message, they wrote it down, they said it aloud in the public square or with the miracles that Elijah and Elisha had, the miracle came and the Spirit then left them. But Jesus has the Holy Spirit with him continuously. It is going to be how you and I can be able to interact with God as well. So when he is giving out the Spirit and is teaching continuously, the authority comes with that. The authority that is from the kingdom of heaven. Now, people understood authority. People understood that there was weight to certain things. And for the people of Israel, when they thought of a leader and a teacher who had authority, they thought of Moses immediately. But even Moses knew that he was a preview of the good thing that would be completed in Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy 18.15, the Bible says this, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet for you like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Moses knew he was just a taste. Moses knew that it wasn't supposed to be just about him, but that he was a forerunner of a person and things to come. 
In fact, the authority that Jesus has is similar to what Daniel sees in his vision. In Daniel 7, verse 13, the Bible says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The dream that Daniel had was now being accomplished through Jesus, and the crowd could feel it just from him teaching. Just from him teaching. Now, when I think of teachers or teachers that had no authority, it reminded me of the old Peanut comic strips. You guys remember Charlie Brown? The mo- I used to watch the movies all the time with my mom and my grandmother. And uh, whenever the teacher would say something, or whenever they would be in class, Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty, all you would hear is, wah, 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 wah. And that's... That sounds very similar sometimes when we're sitting down and we're listening to teachers and we're listening to parents. We just, I hope that that's not what it sounds like on Wednesday nights. (laughs) Sometimes. But follow me here. Follow me. If we teach without authority and we're just spewing off facts, we'll sound just like that teacher. But if Like on Sundays and on Wednesdays and on Fridays, we ask for God's help and revelation while we're preparing what we have to say. He will give us the power of the Holy Spirit so that through that teaching, you'll have what's called pause moments. Pause moments, it happens all the time. When we're we're in Friday night youth group, what happens is that in the middle of our lesson, there will be a connection that the youth probably didn't know or understand in God's word. And all of a sudden, everybody goes silent. And you can see their brain moving and turning because they actually got it. There was a light bulb that went off. And during those moments, we don't continue forward in our our teaching, myself and Pastor Vita. In fact, we pause. And we say, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys thinking about? What are you guys going through? Help us. Let us clarify with you. Because discipleship is happening in that time. And they just understood and received some authority that they didn't know before. And we don't do that most of the time on Sunday mornings, but sometimes we do need to pause. You know, I say say jokingly, are you you with me? But there are some times where I say that because I know what's going on in your brain. And I know what's going on in your mind because it happened with me when I used to sit in the pews. And I'm like, oh, I never knew that before. And may God have the glory because those moments bring us closer to him. Those moments let us know that God is always going to be teaching us, that he is never going to be leaving us to the side or hitting the pause button on discipleship when it comes to us. Now, some of you might say to me, you know, Pastor Thomas, this is all well and good, and yeah, we're supposed to be teaching with authority, but I feel like I don't have the gift of preaching or teaching. That's not what my spiritual gift assessment said when I took starting point. Okay. I understand, you know, not everybody has to worry about filling the pulpit or or different things like that. But if you have children, you're a teacher. If you are a manager or an overseer of a group of people, you're a teacher. 
If you are just a coworker, you are called to be an influence, which is to be a teacher. And you might not quote your Bible, but you might uh, show people the difference in your testimony about, look what God has done for me and my family and the change that I see. And all of that should come with weight and authority. So let's walk in step. Let's walk in the example of how Jesus was, knowing that the kingdom of heaven and the authority that stands with it is inside of us, waiting for opportunity to come out and save others and help teach others a better way. So there should be results of our teaching. But another thing that should show up is the results of power. The scripture transitions and shows us that this authority that Jesus has wasn't just displayed in his teaching. Mark 1.23 says this, Just then a man in their synagogue who is possessed by an impure spirit cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. This is the first miracle that is recorded in Mark's gospel. It's also found in the book of Luke 4, 31 through 37. We're not going to get into those details, but I left it in your notes so that you guys can be able to cross-reference it. And this is the first exorcism seen in Scripture. In the book of Mark alone, out of the 12 or 13 miracles that he talks about in chapters 1 through 8, four of them have to do with exorcism and demonic possession. The biggest reference that we know about impure spirits, according to the scriptures, is with King Saul in 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 18. That when the presence of God left King Saul... An evil spirit, an impure spirit, went and tormented him all day and all night. And when it was only through the playing of David that he can be able to find rest. And two chapters later, when David is playing with him, still the spirit is, is harboring over him. And it's manipulating him to anger and the worst parts of himself. So much so that as he is on the throne, he takes a javelin and tries to spear David twice. There's going to be some heavy things. But there is an ancient understanding of exorcism and removing impure spirits. And I didn't know that it wasn't just found in the Old Testament. Upon my reading, I found out that other cultures used to associate removing impure spirits with magic magicians and shamans of the day. And there was a pattern that they used to use. There would be a dramatic confrontation... Then it would be the, the words of the demon. Then it would be the words of the person giving the exorcism or, or initiating the removal. Then there was a plea or a begging from the impure spirit and a violent cure. So this sequence was used to establish fear and respect that the people around the magician would see. And it would show respect to the shaman and feel like the authority was there. Okay, so let's go back to our text, Mark 1, 23 through 24. This is the dramatic confrontation. The Spirit says, what do you want with us? 
And this is a phrase of confrontation. The demon is trying to challenge Jesus and he is trying to exert control over the situation because they realize that the people are turning to God and they're turning to this new teaching, they're turning to this authority and they want to distract them so that the seed doesn't get planted. And the words of the demon acknowledges who Jesus is. He calls him the Holy One of God. Remember, in James 2.19, the Bible says, even the demons believe in God and shudder. And this confession lets us know that this, this impure spirit or this confrontation knew way more about Jesus than the people did. Now, what would normally come is, is the words of exorcism. But... The typical thing of the day and the cadence of the day was that the magician or the shaman would come up and they would cite a spell or an incantation or they would call on the authority of a higher demonic power. Listen to me. And with that seance, that's how they would remove the demon. What they would basically do was call on a demon that was bigger than them, but the person was still susceptible to be possessed, and to be harassed. Jesus didn't do that. He needs no spell and no incantation. He, he doesn't need to call six, seven different names of every single thing. This is what he says. Be quiet and come out. That's what Jesus says. Be quiet and come out. It changes everything because there's no plea at that point. The demon can't say anything else. He has to shut up. And he has to go. And though there is this violent cure, really the demon comes out of him and there's never an instance where it happens again or it transfers to another person. Another thing that I noticed is that this happens again in the local synagogue. We can pray and we can anoint all we want, but the enemy wants to get in here because he wants to stir something different. That's not going to happen because I know who my savior is, and I know who I walk with, and the whole thing about it is that if somebody wants to go one-on-one -on -one with me and my God, not me, not, not, not me, with my God, shut up and get out. You have no point and you have no, no place here. And there are so many times, there are so many times though, where I see videos and people share with me stuff and I've gone to tent meetings and prayer meetings and these things last like 45 minutes trying to exercise one demon out and for me what I say is what source are you praying from where are you fasting listen I understand that sometimes you need to lay hands on people and you need to pray and you need to fast that's understandable but if you are tapped into the source of God and you are continuously submitting to him and calling on the Holy Spirit to give you strength and power in that point when there's a one-on-one -on -one confrontation you should say in Jesus name get out I remember when we were in Bible college you know uh, there, there's a lot of spiritual warfare that goes on in Bible college uh, spiritual war, I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> because if they're, if they're more and they're more tapped into the source, there would be people be like, we, we, we're going to pray and we're going to intercede and we're going to do this. And, we, and, and eventually it's going to happen. And I'm like, do you know who your God is? Just say that it's going to be so and it will happen. 
There is an authority in the name of Jesus that is above every other name on this world. And if you have confidence and you know the character of your God and your Savior, you shouldn't have to worry about having a rehab session and reboost session to be able to go. Now I know that Jesus was a person who retreated and prayed because he needed nourishment. I know that Jesus didn't just do miracles and like an energizer bunny kept on going and going and going and going. No, there were times of pause where he had to retreat back to the Father. Again, if Jesus is our example and we're supposed to have results of power with authority, then we should be doing what Jesus did and retreating ourselves so that we would be ready for every opportune moment for the miracle to happen. In fact, the example that we receive not, is not just from Jesus, but it's with the sending out of the 12. In the sending out of the 12, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, verse 7. The Bible says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And some of you might say, well, Pastor Thomas, that was the 12. That was the 12 disciples. They were with him the entire time. They were always plugged in. So, you know, maybe they have a little bit more authority than we do. Well, you want to know, I'll give you that. I don't want to, but I'll give it to you. Make a good point. If we didn't have the sending out of the 72. If we didn't have the 120 in the book of Acts 2-4. If we didn't have the, uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit in Cornelius' house in Acts 9. Or what it says in Mark 16, 17. These are the words of Jesus. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, I, I see, I'm going back to, to the videos that, that I've seen and the, and the prayer meetings that I've seen. And the funny thing is that it doesn't, when, when I've seen people not take it seriously or people not tapped into Jesus and not understanding their authority, it reminds me of the story in Acts 19 with the seven sons of Sceva. If you don't remember the story, if you don't know the story, I'm going to let you know these seven sons were sons of a chief priest and were attempting to rebuke an impure spirit. And this is how they said it. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So they didn't even believe in the name. They believed in the person who knew the name. <laughs> How many people know that is a setup for failure? You can't cite a source. <laughs> you can't cite a source of another person's book to claim the authority over it. No. And what happens Acts 19, starting in verse 15, says this. It says, one day the e evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You see, 
these sons, these group of men had no power because they didn't believe in the name. They weren't connected to a source. I said this earlier today uh, when we were doing pre-service prayer. If you are an electric station, if you are a power station, there is a source that you are connected to, correct? And if you have no power or if that community has no power, then you need to check what's happening in the building and make sure that the source is still connected to. But if you're disconnected or you're only running a quarter to the capacity, how do you think people are going to receive power? We should not be trying to receive power one out of every seven days. That didn't get a big enough amen. I'm going to come over here. We shouldn't be trying to receive power one out of every seven days of the week. Because Jesus' answers come in his word, come in times of prayer, come in times of fasting, come in fellowshipping with other believers and talking about struggles with one another, bearing one another's burdens. All of those things bring about discipleship, understanding, and transform us so that we can be able to move forward in power. That is what we are called to do. We have to remember that the power to overcome impure and demonic spirits come with calling on the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ. So, our actions, our actions as Christians should re produce results with authority. There should be results in our teaching. There should be results in the power, when we work and walk in the miracles of God, they should have not only results, but there should be an imprint that is left. Not by us, by him. But the thing that I also see is the results of the crowd. People look at this story and they always point to Jesus. They always point to the miracle. But sometimes we forget about the results that the crowd gave. 1, 27 and 28. The people were all amazed and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Three things that the crowd did, folks. They were in amazement at the miracle. They were in amazement at Jesus' teaching. For 400 years, they believed that God had gone silent. This period is called the intertestamental period, and they believed that from Malachi all the way to Matthew, that God didn't speak through prophecy, so he was keeping his mouth shut. So there was a hardening amongst the people. They were only hearing about the miracles that they saw in Scripture or the miracles that, pass per, uh, that people passed on through the oral tradition of storytelling. But then they make a declaration. They say that this is a new teaching, and with authority, they recognize what Jesus is doing, that this was not a routine that they had seen or heard before, that this was not just a guest speaker. No, there is something different about this teacher, about his teaching, and the act that he performed. And then there was this commotion. Listen, bad or good news, it travels fast. 
Mm-hmm. Let me say let me say it this way. Bochinche travels quickly. That's what we would say in my household. Bochinche travels quickly. It doesn't matter if it's good news or bad news. It travels. But they didn't. This didn't stay in Capernaum. No, it went through the entire region of Galilee. And some people probably did come just to see if the miracle would happen again. Other people would come and stick around to see the rest of the fruit of Jesus' ministry. And we know that from the large numbers of crowds which would be around him every time that he entered a city. But you know what I don't see? The people didn't recognize that this was something from God. The people were ooing and they were eyeing, but they weren't bringing their hands up in praise and recognizing that Jesus was doing only what God can do. God taught and brought things with authority. God did the miraculous through authority. And yet, they had the Savior right in front of them, and they did not know that it was him. The book of John says it like this. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't recognize him. This happens because their hearts were hard. Jamie, if you would come. Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 says this. God is speaking to Isaiah the prophet after he has anointed him. And he says, go and tell the people this. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You see, the Jewish people for years, folks, had plenty of those who said that they were going to be the Savior, that said that they would raise up the people of Israel and rebel over the principalities of this world, whether they be Greek, whether they be Roman, or anything like that. There were plenty of people who claimed to be the Messiah, and yet they would fall and they would fade. And within those 400 years, they became hard because they saw so many examples that would fall that when the true example, that when God and the flesh actually came to them, they couldn't recognize it. They were... Jesus and his teaching was not like anyone ever heard before. And the miracle that just happened in front of them was like nothing that they had ever seen before. Because he was going to establish the kingdom of heaven. Hear me now. Not man's way, but God's way. And there were plenty of things, there were plenty of expectations that people have of this is how God should be like. Does it sound familiar in this room? This is how God should be like. If there is a good God, there should be no pain. 
If there is a, if there is a God who listens to us, then why do I feel like I'm not receiving the answers? If there is a God who is all-knowing and all-powerful, why doesn't he stop things in this world? Because he has given us his creation and his image a free will to be able to act on our own behalf. And there are more times, unfortunately, where we as man choose death rather than life. There are more times where we ooh and we ah like the crowd instead of looking up to heaven and pressing in and getting closer to God. We often wait for revival meetings, for the extraordinary and for the miraculous to happen. But if the Holy Spirit is in us, we should be expecting that a miracle can happen any place, anywhere, and anytime. And with that being said, if the miracle happens and we acknowledge it, may we not be passive and say, look what God did. No, let's get down on our knees, especially as people of God, and recognize that the presence of the Lord is in the room. We should look at the example that Peter and John left. Peter and John in Acts 3 are at a gate called Beautiful. And there is a man that has been there that has been lame almost his entire life. And what does Peter say? Acts 3, 6 says this. Silver and gold. I, I'm, I'm not going to read it up there because it's too old for me. I'm going to read it in the King James. I know what it says up there. It says it in plain English. I'm going to say it in King James. Silver and gold have I none. But what I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ walk. And the Bible says that instantly taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So the miracle has happened. We see the miracle has happened and the crowd is gathering around, but Peter doesn't stop there. He addresses the crowd. He continues in 312. When Peter saw this, the crowd gathering around, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from Hallelujah. the dead. And we are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that this man stands completely healed as all of you can see. The scriptures continue and say that the church on that day grew, uh, grew to about 5,000 people just from that message. The authority that we should be walking in, that we should be teaching, the authority of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit will provide the opportunity for us to be a witness in this dark world. 
we can be able to use the words of Jesus and of Scripture to see the blind healed, the deaf hear, the addict be recovered immediately in the name of Jesus. And it will be so because we have a God that can accomplish it. Do you believe that this morning? Are you ready to walk in that this morning? Because we're not going to leave this place and not realize the authority that we have. No, we are not going to be these fair-weather Christians that don't understand that we need to plug into the source of our Father God, that the miracle and the fire is always inside of us, and we should never let it go out. Are you with me this morning, church? Let's stand.